Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Thursday, April the 24th. This week we're focusing on an important clinical issue, that is the treatment of a particular subtype of thyroid cancer. To find out more, I'm joined by one of the authors of a paper that we published today, Thursday, April the 24th, and that is uh, Dr. Marsha Brose. Come in, Marsha, and, and tell us uh, your title and where you're from. Hi, my name is Marsha Brose, and I'm an assistant professor at the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania, and I am currently the director of the Thyroid Cancer Therapeutics Program. Terrific. Thank you very much for talking to us. Pleasure to be speaking to you. Thyroid cancer is not something we cover that often in The Lancet, so just as a reminder to hopefully most of us, tell us about thyroid cancer generally. Often it does have a, a reasonable prognosis and good treatment, but not always the case. Can you just set the scene? Well, it's actually kind of interesting because thyroid cancer is the most common endocrine malignancy out there. And so in the endocrine world, it's very, very common with 65,000 diagnosed, at least in the United States, a year, which is fairly high. But as you pointed out, most patients do well, and only about 2,000 of those patients will die of their disease. So we really do quite a good job between surgery and radioactive iodine. So most of these patients will do quite well. But uh, your paper is looking specifically, isn't it, as a subtype of patients who don't respond to radioactive uh, iodine. Tell us about the protocol and, and objectives for, for your current study. The bad news for some patients is even though they've been told they have a good cancer, for about 5 to 15% of them, radioactive iodine, which is the mainstay of treatment when surgery is no longer effective, it stops working. People who have metastatic disease, 25 to 50% of them will eventually have disease that doesn't respond anymore to radioactive iodine. Now, historically, um, we've had very little to offer patients. The only FDA-approved drug was in 1974, doxorubicin, and it hasn't been given in over 10 years because patients um, don't do well with it, and it doesn't really, it's not very effective. So patients really have had no treatment whatsoever. So what we wanted to do was look and see whether the kinase inhibitor serafinib would uh, provide some benefit to these patients and also be safe and tolerable. The design itself of the trial was a double-blind, um, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. And this, the study decision, which is reported in The Lancet today, is actually um, a, the last of a series of several trials that have been looking at the efficacy of this agent um, for these patients. Let's talk a little more about the agent, serafinib. It's a kinase inhibitor, I believe, isn't it, that's, that has been well, um, well used and well, well known for its use in particularly in renal cell carcinoma. Is that right? That's absolutely right. It's been FDA approved for renal cell carcinoma and liver cancer. We actually treated the first patient with thyroid cancer as an extension to one of the early phase two studies on renal cell carcinoma. So our first patient was started and uh, treated in 2004 and really had a very remarkable response. And it was based on the activity of this patient that we really started to move forward with phase two and phase three trials. The agent itself is an anti-VEGF receptor inhibitor. So we knew that it had anti-angiogenic, anti-vascular properties, and both kidney liver cancer and then also thyroid cancer are very vascular tumors. This was our first reason for wanting to try it in thyroid cancer. And the second is, is that of the early kinase inhibitors, serafinib was one of the few that had some activity in BRAF, in inhibiting BRAF, and it turns out that up to 50% of papillary thyroid cancers, which is the major subtype of differentiated thyroid cancer, up to 50% of those harbor a BRAF mutation. So putting those two things together made us very, very interested in this agent for thyroid cancer. Just ask you to explain in a little bit more detail the, the, the significance of, of BRAF that you've just spoken about. Anti-angiogenesis, that's clear because clearly and the anti-VEGF effect, that means the blood supply 
basically of the malignant tissue is cut off, isn't it? So the cancer can't that's grow. Correct. Tell us about well, the, the BRAF. BRAF muta- the mutant is the same one that's been found in melanoma. It's the BRAF E600E mutation. And basically this constitutively activates this growth pathway. And so when we have agents that can directly inhibit the BRAF pathway and the MAP kinase pathway, we had hope of having some extra activity in our thyroid cancer population. Tell us more about the population of patients in in this study and the design of of the study and, and the key findings. Sure. I mean, these patients are really very much um, in need of therapy. I think that there's a misconception since so many patients with thyroid cancers do well that all, all of them do well. But the, the truth of the matter is the mortality in these patients is really quite high. Once they stop responding to radioactive iodine, their mortality is between two and a half and three and a half years. We used very key eligibility criteria to define a population of people who were really in need of therapy. They could no longer be responsive to radioactive iodine. They were not candidates for surgery. And most importantly, they also um, were having progressing disease. In other words, their disease was clearly growing on serial CAT scans. So what, what we did was we took this population and then we gave them either placebo or which was totally reasonable given that there was no therapy at the time, or we gave them serafinib given as the the standard dose of 400 milligrams orally twice a day. And basically we compared these two arms. What I think the placebo arm shows us, which was the progression-free survival was only 5.8 months, that shows us that we really did do a good job of using these eligibility criteria, identifying patients who are clearly in need of therapy, and the result of the serafinib intervention almost doubled that to 10.8 months, showing a very, very clear and strong activity with a hazard ratio of, of 0.58. And how is serafinib taken? It's, a, it's one capsule twice a day, is that right? It's actually two capsules twice a day. Okay. So it's given in 200 milligram doses. So it's two t- tablets in the morning and two tablets at night. Okay, so in terms of compliance and, and sort of tolerability, um, in terms of the treatment, that's not so bad. What about side effects? The most common side effect is the hand-foot skin reaction, which we know a lot about from the renal cell population. And as it turns out, this can be very, very easily managed. I think that some of the rates were a little bit higher in this population, mostly because most of the physicians had never given this drug before and weren't quite as proactive as far as treating it. But at the end of the day, it really is a manageable toxicity, and that was the primary one that we saw. Other ones that are expected are things like high blood pressure, Some people lost some weight. There was some diarrhea. We did have to watch out a little bit specifically in the thyroid cancer population for hypocalcemia. And that's because many of these patients have borderline calcium levels due to low activity of parathyroid hormone. When they have their thyroids removed, the parathyroids are transplanted and sometimes they don't work fully. And so because of that, the calcitonin levels are low and they might be on the borderline of hypocalcemia. That together with a little bit of uh, diarrhea and not being able to absorb their calcium supplements sometimes could put them a little bit low. So that's a very specific toxicity we saw because of the thyroid cancer physiology, so to speak. But overall, very tolerable. All of these are manageable. And and in our population, you know, we never have patients who've had to really stop. Very, very, very rarely do have patients who stop just because of a toxicity. The big question, of course, here we have some favorable results in a phase three trial. It's It's a classic example, isn't it, of of um, starting off with a patient 10 years ago, and here we are discussing phase three results. What yeah, happens yeah. next? Well, I think that it already has changed practice. I, I, most patients are treated, I think, as a first line with serafinib, and in countries where, it was been avi- where it's been available, um, patients have been able to get it. I think it's very important, of course, that the FDA also has 
um, concluded that this is an active agent and has given it approval. So I really think this is the first of a class of drugs that have shown activity, and it probably is the beginning of a really a new day for these patients because until now they've really had nothing. And so we have now many other kinase inhibitors coming down the road, and we're looking at second-line, third-line therapy. But, you know, for a bunch of patients who really had nothing, serafinib has really been the first hope and the first real big contribution to their quality of life um, and their treatment in decades. Can you just remind us, you gave us the some actual numbers of based on U.S. figures at, at the top of the podcast. What proportion, what percent of thyroid cancer patients are we talking about with this um, iodine, um, radioactive iodine refractory thyroid cancer? It's anywhere between 5 and 15 percent based on the studies that are out there. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's a significant um, you know, subpopulation of people getting thyroid cancer. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Well, very encouraging findings. And uh, so you say it's changing practice already. Is that the end of research, do you think, um, then in terms of proving efficacy, safety and efficacy? No, absolutely not. I mean, there have been several other agents in phase two um, activity, I mean, with phase two activity. And so other kinase inhibitors are coming down the line. I think that we've definitely proven serafinib is is active, and I, other than you know, follow-on studies to long-term effects and things like that, I don't think we need any more proof that serafinib works and it can be given. Um, the question will be, what do we do eventually when serafinib stops working? What other agents are out there? And we're already doing some of this, um, you know, trying sequencing and some combination trials in the phase two setting. So this is really just the beginning of hopefully a very successful story for these patients. Dr. Marsha Rose on the line from University of Pennsylvania in the United States. Many thanks. Thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thanks, Richard.